Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to the next episode of Stadium Miguel. It's your Uncle Silk. All American, am I black? And what it do, baby? It's Dan. <laughs> Dan, stop that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, bro. <laughs> What it do, oh. baby? What was that? <laughs> That's the light of second. <laughs> hell, of, hell of an intro, fellas. I like the energy. How was your weekend, man? Oh man, I had a great weekend. I got a, a chance to go down to Lakeland uh, for a little bit and, and spend some time with some old friends and see my parents and, and my brother and my nice. some family, man. And, you know, my girl met me over there, so I, I had a chill weekend. What about y'all? Yeah. I was pretty chill. Um, I had a friend of mine had a baby shower Saturday, so we went to the baby shower. After that, everybody and while I had the baby shower, everybody was like, "Yo, let's step out to this little black party or whatever." So we ended up going to that. Me, the wife, and some friends. Other than, and then su- Sunday, I just recovered all day. Um, yeah. I don't know what, a, what what's a what's a black party. Is it what I think it is? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, it was it kind of both. It, it's both of what you think it is. Is it, it both of them? It's both of them. Um, <laughs> technically, it was a uh, you were all black to the okay. party, but yeah. it was nothing but black people there, so it could go either way. Then, hey, I got you. I got a lot of all white parties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, do they wear man. hoodies there? Hey, speaking of all white parties, yeah, we uh, we went to. Uh, <laughs> We went to uh, a couple beach bars on Friday. Uh, there's a new joint that opened up in uh, in Tampa by the water, so we went and checked that out. It rained for a bit, but other than that, it was uh, it's pretty chill. Other than that, it relaxed. I was telling Ahmad before we started that I've been having family in town, or I was traveling for the last four weeks, so it was good to just kind of relax and, and hang out here in Tampa. Did some day drinking on Saturday and nice. lived my best life. Day drinking is always a fun drink. You, you get recovered for the next day. Hey, what's your favorite drink, man? Let the people know. What's your, what's your like your go to drink? I'm yeah. about to say go favorite and go to is two totally different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on what that bread looking like. All right, what's your, what's your go to? You, you pull in there. You want to be safe. You don't want to try nothing crazy. What's your go to, Dan? Uh, I, I do an old fashioned. I've, I've, I'm probably the king of old fashions. I introduce Ankh to the old fashioned. I introduce timeline to the old fashioned. So so that's my joint. Um, but if I'm, I'm not looking to get a little too crazy, I uh, usually just do like whiskey and water with a lime in it. Um, stay a little hydrated, but, uh, but I'm a big whiskey guy. That's almost all I drink when I'm drinking liquor. What whiskey, bro? Enlighten us. Uh, Basil Hayden's, Blanton's. Oh, uh, yeah. Basil Hayden's. It's, it's, can't go wrong with that. Yeah, my favorite's Blanton's. And then obviously there's a bunch of other stuff that I drink. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, whatever's there that's not bottom shelf, you know. I can't be getting those hangovers anymore, you know. Like I used to drink like Old Forester and like the stuff that came in the plastic bottle when I was when I was in college. We went to Balls or Gator City or Excess wherever. Yeah, but when I drink, when drink I, the crappy stuff. But once I graduated college, man, my body can't do that anymore. Yeah, when I when I became a man, I put away childish things, dude. Mm. You got to, man. You got to. That's I say right. Glen, Glen Viet, man. I'm a Scotch. I like Scotch if I'm, if I'm drinking. Okay. Man. So Glen Viet. I'll say uh, I like it neat, but I'm like, damn, I have a little water in line with it if, I, if I'm being safe. Yeah. yeah. Ahmad, what about you? I don't really drink too much, man. But, you know, if I if I do, man, I, I'm i a Hennessy guy, man. I don't really yeah, – I mean, I – Hennessy catch a lot of flack, but I'm not mad at Hennessy, bro. Hennessy is clutch, bro. I like it. Hennessy, I can't go wrong with that. You can't. You can't. Little, but look, you want to be safe, you put a little bit of Coke in there. You, you know? Coca-Cola. 
Cold, cold. Try, trying to go for the kill, then you just don't, you know. You know, and be specific. Did I, uh, I was a bartender at Mother's when I was in college, part of my senior year. And um, there was a guy that ordered a, uh, they called it a Thug's Passion. It was half Hennessy <laughs> and half Alizé. And I had no idea what it tasted like, but it sounded disgusting. <laughs> disgusting but uh, it was called Thug's Passion. And hey, that's when I was a big Weezy fan. Hey, Dan, that's Tupac uh, lyric, Dan. You know that, right? Well, that's a drink, too. So yeah, anyway, but, yeah. so, oh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. No. If, if it's not if it's not changes or uh, California love, I probably don't know that too far. Yo, yo, so yeah. weak right now, bro. Hey, Dan, look, I got, look, wait, hello, Dan. The passion, bro. I got the perfect solution, Dan. Yeah, you yeah. Just how to be on time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and about Tupac. Perfect. There you go. Hey, it's perfect, a match made in heaven. Hey, but I don't know. Have you guys ever had it? That shit tastes disgusting. I don't drink that shit, bro. It's, every, it's, it's, every part of that tastes gross. It's, it's pretty much Alize was uh when they had the hypnotic and Hennessy. That was Alize and Hennessy was that before hypnotic and Hennessy. The incredible Hulk nonsense. But dude, you know yeah. hypnotic is like a white girl drink now. Is it really? I thought like, things died. Until like I don't know, until like five years ago, I don't think a white person on earth drank it. Now all of a sudden that's all I see people drinking. White girls, obviously. That and Rose and Cam. <laughs> Cam, Cam signaling like I, I was a big hypnotic guy. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> you can see him walking around drinking that shit, huh? Yeah, on on the rocks. Yeah, throw a little, <laughs> throw a little umbrella and a little grenadine in there. That's just I can terrible. See it. <laughs> oh man! But let's get into some. I can't have y'all slander me right now. Yeah, I was go just ahead, gonna man. say, girls were drinking that when I was in high school. All Not right, so boy. five years ago. Girls were drinking him not. Let's get into some. Let's get into some money talk, man. Uh, so the coach's salary dropped today. Yeah. Dan, break break down what we seen today. What and what was uh shared to the people? Yeah, Thomas Goldcamp uh, broke it down for us, and he gave out all of the coaches' salaries. It looks like all of them, except for David Turner and Torian Gray. Um, who are the two new guys, and then Todd Grantham uh, are the only ones that are signed right now beyond this year, which means that if they're going to stay on staff, they're probably all due uh, for some raises. Um, I think all of them are kind of in the same ballpark. Um, I've got to take a look uh, just how closely. The one thing that I still see on there, and I'm not sure if it's going to change now, is Christian Robinson is at $90,000 right now in salary. Uh, he was at 80000 last year. So uh, I don't know if there's some big bonus in the works for him or whatever, but uh, if that is, if he's only making $90,000 in salary, then he is vastly underpaid. And he's either going to get a huge bump next year by Florida or wherever he goes because $90,000 ain't going to keep a guy like him around very long. Yeah, I expect him to get a bump in salary. I think he's probably he's most likely still on his first contract. I'm pretty sure he hit some incentives here there on the trail. But I, I expect him to get a, a upgrade in that. Yeah. I don't, the one, I don't see why not. Yeah, the one thing that I uh, that I did notice, and, and Thomas broke down the, the salary pools for 2018. Now, I don't think that they're all out for 2019, so some of this data is a little old. But if Florida were to have the same amount of salaries, they have about $5.2 million in mm-hmm. – um, in assistant salaries, they would only rank 14th in the country. And so that's behind Texas A&M, or I guess Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Michigan, Florida State, surprisingly, Tennessee, Washington, 
and then uh, Oregon, and then Florida would be next. So uh, then Oklahoma and South Carolina are right below that. So that seems a little low to me, um, especially when Florida State um, and they're playing two wide or paying two wide receiver coaches right now. So maybe that's why they're higher. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but there's there should be no reason that that Auburn, LSU. Uh, Florida State, Tennessee, Washington, especially in Oregon, should be ahead of uh, ahead of Florida. Yeah, I think we should remain in the top ten and in, in pretty much everything. I don't care if it's the arms race, salary. I think for us to be able to compete with the best, we got to be paying and spending like the best, bro. Yeah, so I think uh, I think some changes got to be made. Got to act like the best. We we talk about absolutely. We talk about a Gator standard. I mean, what we when we said we do we only mean on the field or what like. That got to that got to mean everywhere on the field. Oh, shit, we Gators. We need to act like it. I think I think I think after this year though, it, it it'll be better, man. Yeah, we it's get, going in the right direction. They got they got facilities going up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's they, uh, the update? What's the update with the locker room and the locker bro, room changes? Oh my god, bro. Yo, I, locker room is gonna be amazing. I'm just gonna say that right now. What I, you know, dog? I got a sneak peek. Oh my god. Oh, god. Bro. All right. Oh, hey, man. tell us more. Tell us more. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, break I'm, the news. I'm just gonna say, it, man. It's gonna be. It's, it's gonna be a, a huge. It's gonna be like a huge light above the on the on the roof. It's gonna say Gators. That's like, all you got for us. That's all. <laughs> all right. Right. Nothing about the weight room. Just everything about the light. Uh, that's that's all hey, I got for you. The rest is when a surprise. It, any idea when they're announcing this uh, or, or, or revealing the locker room? It's supposed to be done this week, right here. Yeah, I actually, I actually went into the to the company that's that's doing a lot of it. And they hiring? Hey man, uh, yeah, low key. <laughs> hey, is it the company from that guy from that Cocaine Island movie? Well, is it hey his man. company? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing about no Cocaine <laughs> Island, none of that, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, watch. It's a documentary on Netflix. I yeah, know. I don't know if it's him, but if it is, I definitely get a job there. Uh, yeah, I think I think that should be done this week, and I think they're still waiting on announcements for for everything else. And uh, baseball's moving along, uh, but I think they're waiting on announcements for everything else. But all right, man, let's get into some basketball. I mean, we had some big news break over the uh, the weekend. Yeah, we got Kerry uh, Blackshear from Virginia Tech. Um, I don't know about you guys. I know nothing about basketball. What about you guys? Talk about this team. I think it's a completely new team, so I think we should bring somebody on to talk us uh, talk to us a little bit more about it. What do you think? Hey man, I know I know a little something about some basketball. I'm here for the, the uh, Miguel Blanco slander, bro. Okay. Hey, I saw you got called <laughs> out by the rowdy reptiles, huh? <laughs> the rowdy reptiles out. Yeah, they called me out, bro. And we home, <laughs> we home boys, man. I can't. Hey. It's all love, dog. I, I, don't uh, mind being, I don't mind being wrong, man. As long as I, we got the I'm, guy. I'm not even going to lie. One, lie. So this is one of the one things that I always want to do, man. I always just want to be in the Rowdy Reptiles section. One one game, bro. I just want to just go out and hang out and just, just go dumb one game. I'd be like, I, mean, I, think, I think we can get you in there, bro. Like yeah, a Kentucky game or something. I, 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 I'm not trying to go when we play, when, you know, we play, uh, uh, North Florida Christian or something like that. I'm trying to play Kentucky or something. SEC game, man. I, I think we can we... make it happen. Hey, if you're the Roddy Reptiles, holler at Mod Black. He wants to sit in your section for a game. Yeah, Mod Black, 35 Twitter. Holler. H- holler. holler. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's bring on Eric Fawcett from Gator Country.
And we're live with Eric Fawcett, live from Edmonton, Canada. Happy Canada Day, brother. Hey, thanks so much. It's uh, it's a great day to talk Florida basketball. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Eric, we had a big, big commitment from Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech. Talk to us a little bit more about him and what it means for UF and what it means for the team and what his role is going to be and and all that kind of fun stuff about, uh, about him. So, I mean, the first thing is, uh, this was the most sought after grad transfer on the market. And everyone knows that nowadays grad transfers are the biggest thing in college basketball. And so just the fact that Florida was able to get the best grad transfer on the market, uh, it says a lot about, about Mike White and his staff and his ability to recruit. Um, obviously, he was kind of down to, to Florida, to Tennessee and Kentucky. And I mean, uh, to beat out Kentucky for a recruit is always awesome in basketball. So, uh, so like I said, I mean, I, I think he's the best center returning in college basketball, which is huge. Uh, just his ability to score. That's kind of the biggest thing about Kerry Blackshear is he's just an elite scorer, whether it's on the inside where he's got awesome hands and can finish really strong, uh, or it's on the perimeter where he's got really good speed for a six foot 11, 250 pound big man. So, uh, you look at Florida's roster before they got Blackshear, and uh, the roster looked really, really good. There's just one hole, and it was at the center position. So before Kerry Blackshear, you go from a team that's like you know, kind of fringy top 25, probably about half people had had them in the top 25, uh, but they've got one kind of big gap at center. And then now you get Kerry Blackshear, you go from the center being a point of weakness to a point of major strength. And now uh, that's why you see Florida in the top 10 in most people's polls. Why... Eric, and I, I truly know almost nothing about this Gators basketball team until probably October, maybe 29th. I'll, I'll start to do a little research. Why Why was he looking to leave Virginia Tech, or why did he leave Virginia Tech? And if he is the most talented big guy, why do you think he didn't go to the NBA? I know he was toying with that for a little while. But why, why was he looking to leave Virginia Tech? Uh, so the reason he was looking to leave Virginia Tech was uh, his coach, Buzz Williams. He left and went to Texas A&M. Um, And then there was three really good seniors on the team. Uh, They obviously graduated. And then their next, they had another really good player named Nikhail Alexander Walker. He went to the NBA. So the team was just, all the talent was gone other than Blackshear. His coach left to Texas A&M. And uh, so it was looking kind of uh, like a sure thing he would leave for sure. Um, And he could have followed Buzz Williams to a Texas A&M for sure, but they, uh, they're not looking great this year. Of course, they just lost their coach. We're in a great team last couple of years. So, uh, they kind of opened it up to all the other teams. And, uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people because I have written a Gator Country just about how I really think Kerry Blackshear is a tremendous basketball player. So a lot of people have been like, hey, if he's so good, why didn't he stay in the draft? And uh, his athleticism isn't uh, at an NBA level. Um, and uh, you just look at the way the team's drafted in the NBA, it is athleticism over everything. So uh, the other thing you see in the NBA is they kind of want youth. And obviously he'd been in college for four years, so they already kind of see him as a – maybe lower ceiling big man. But I, I mean, you just look at the NBA draft uh, recently, it, it teams just don't take centers. They just, they're not a high priority right now. So you've got to be just the cream of the crop uh, to be, uh, to be kind of taken as a, as a center in the NBA draft. Uh, he's not quite that, but uh, I really don't think people should confuse NBA potential with college production. And I just think that uh, there's a lot of people that say like, Hey, if he's as good as you say he is, then he wouldn't be here. So he's obviously not as good as you say, Eric. And uh, I'll just say, Hey, uh, yeah, just wait till uh, November when basketball starts. Cause I think, uh, I think people will be very, very impressed by him. Do you think he could work his way into the draft this year? Or do you think he's maybe a fringe, maybe a workout guy and then maybe go over to Europe if he wants to play a bit or, or is there a chance that he could work his way into the draft? Uh, I don't know if he'd make his way into the draft. I mean, the NBA draft's only two rounds, so you've really got to be 
uh, you've really got to be a high level player to be drafted there. But with that being said, uh, for, you know, the two rounds of draft, every team may be getting roughly two guys added. Uh, there's usually about four, four spots per team every single year that go to unsigned for agents. So I think he would stick on a, on a two-way contract. Uh, but yeah, I just think, I, I think one of the draws to Florida was the strength and conditioning program. He's got to get a little quicker, a little stronger. If he improves his jump shot a little bit, um, and just keeps his, uh, kind of insane ability to score the basketball and just great offensive IQ. I, I certainly think we could see him playing in the NBA after a good year at Florida. Yeah, and then what's the, I guess, my last question, and I know some of these guys have other questions, What what's the outlook of this team look like this year? Uh, and what's your expectation of how they're going to do uh, going into the postseason? Well, like I said, I mean, in most people's top 25s right now, Florida's in the top 10. Uh, so that so expectations should be really high. Uh, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann are two five-stars that are being brought in. Uh, they got really good returning talent in Andrew Nemhart. Uh, and I think if you just look at the teams that have made Final Fours in kind of recent college basketball history, it seems with really good returners, uh, it seems with NBA one-and-done talent, and it seems with experience. And you look at the returning players Florida has, it's some really good ones in Andrew Nemhart, Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson. Uh, you've got NBA kind of one-and-done talent in Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, and you've got a fifth-year senior, Kerry Blackshear, who's, uh, like I said, I think one of the best centers in college basketball. I don't think too many people would dispute that. So they've got a lot of traits of, of a team that goes uh, deep kind of into the uh, Elite Eight, Final Four kind of scenario. Um, and uh, you know, barring injury, I think that's got to be kind of the goal, uh, Sweet 16 or better. Even a Sweet 16, I think, could be Ooh. like uh, – I think that should be uh, – I think that would be like, hey uh, – we had the talent to do a little bit more. So uh, expectations are high. And honestly, I think they should be. And I think falling short of that would be a disappointment. Mm, that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. So uh, Mike, Mike White definitely can recruit. And uh, one of his things has been not having a, a big man on, on offense. He got blacks here now. What do you expect to see differently from this offense with scoring and whatnot? Right. I mean, he's never had anyone of the caliber of Blackshear or, or even close, really. So uh, what we kind of actually saw halfway through last season um, was a kind of change in, in offense from something you'd call like a four out motion, uh, very perimeter kind of style offense to uh, to a, something called a Princeton offense. It's a little more of like an old school basketball, um, but he's kind of modernized it a little bit. It uses your guards a lot to set back screens for bigs and Florida actually used that. Uh, because they honestly didn't have many big men who could score. So it was a system where it was like, hey, let's see if Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke, our smaller players, um, can set screens for our big men to try to give them open looks. And uh, while it was an offense kind of designed around how can we get our maybe not great offensive big man easy looks, I mean, you take that and then you add in Kerry Blackshear. I mean, if you give him a half-decent look, he's going to finish. Uh, so I think this Princeton offense that they actually started working in halfway through last year uh, is going to really benefit Blackshear. What could possibly be the Achilles heel of this team? If anything's to set this team back and they don't make that Sweet 16 run, what could be that setback? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that you look at modern basketball, and a lot of it is kind of predicated on having athletic wings. And Florida's got two of them in Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson. Um, but past that, they're a little bit thin on the wing. So I think that, uh, you, you, like, you look at some, uh, I mean, one thing that really sucks for Florida basketball is they have just gotten their doors blown off by Florida State the last few years. Uh, Mike White hasn't beat them yet. And uh, Florida State has had some good basketball teams, uh, but they've always been just loaded with athletes on the wing. And Florida, you know, has uh, a really good start, two starting athletes in Keontae Johnson, Scotty Lewis, uh, but they don't have a lot of depth there. So I think if we are, uh, you know, if, 
if, if I'm on this podcast talking later in the season and, and Florida's taken some bad losses, it's probably because they got out-athleted on the wing. So uh, that'll be the one thing to kind of watch for. Could you possibly see possibly see Mike White seat getting high if they don't go make it like a Sweet 16 run? Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, there's, uh, there's big expectations here and for good reason. So I think that, yeah, if they uh, kind of get ousted in the second round of the NCAA tournament, that could be... Uh, that could make things a little toasty. But honestly, uh, I think looking at kind of a, a one-and-done tournament like the NCAA tournament and, uh, and seeing a possible upset, I, I don't think that should really uh, that should really do anything. Like, I mean, hey, if Florida's a, a two-seed and loses to a 15, I mean, that's bad. But uh, I, I look at kind of the larger sample size of, like, the SEC. So if Florida were to struggle in the SEC somehow this year, um, finish sixth or seventh even, um, I think it's got it. You got to say like, Hey, Mike White's bringing in these dudes, but, uh, uh, he just did, wasn't able to do much with him. So, uh, I'm a big Mike White supporter, even through a, a lot of the kind of criticism he's gone. I, I think a lot of it has been unfair, but yeah, if, uh, like I said, I, I just really think the expectations on this team are, are warranted with the amount of talent on their roster. And yeah, if he falls short, I, maybe there does have to be some questions about Mike White's coaching. Hey, Amar Black, um, who's the leader in the locker room? And, like, what would we see differently this year um, from, I guess, the past years? Uh, definitely Andrew Nemhart, the point guard. Uh, I think you obviously – your point guard's your leader, kind of your quarterback in, uh, on the floor. And uh, for Andrew Nemhart, we saw some of that leadership last year, but he was a freshman, and there was some upperclassmen on the, on the team. And uh, sometimes when you're the freshman and you've got older guys, there's just only so much kind of uh, favor you can have. And I think that, uh, I think that uh, Andrew Nemhart this season – uh, has kind of earned a lot of respect of the incoming players. That's what I've heard so far. He's got definitely the respect of the coaching staff. And I think he's going to be kind of the leader on the floor with his play um, and vocally as well. And uh, talking about freshman leaders, I mean, Scotty Lewis, the guy that they brought in, uh, top 10 player in any kind of scouting service you use, uh, he's a dog. And he is absolutely a leader. And just every level of basketball, he's been a leader. Playing with USA Basketball, he's been a leader. Um, he just exudes confidence and uh, just really builds up his teammates. And uh, while he's a freshman, I think he just has that kind of, uh, he's kind of loud, he's outspoken, and he just plays so tough. I mean, if if the referee would said, hey, uh, throw away the scoreboard, the first the first player, the first team who's going to, who can tear down the goal with their teeth is going to win, Scotty Lewis is going to jump up there and do it. Like, he would, he would just do anything to win, and I think that's going to really help. So uh, while it's some of these younger guys, um, going back to Kerry Blackshear, I mean, he's going to be a fifth-year guy, obviously. Uh, he's a pretty quiet dude. Um, I think he's going to kind of lead with the way he plays a lot. Uh, but I think for vocal leadership, you're looking, you're looking at Andrew Nemhart, your point guard, and you're looking at Scotty Lewis. Uh, another another uh, question about Blackshear. How much will, like, immediate impact will he make? Um, I know you say he's a quiet guy, but on and off the court, like, what, what type of impact will he have um, with the game? I mean, he was just – yeah, I mean, he was just so, like, on, on the floor, I mean, he was just so productive playing in the ACC against the best conference in, in college basketball. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be any adjustment period for him playing-wise. Um, and one thing, too, I should say, he's a quiet guy, but I was able to, you know, once Florida got him, I was able to talk to a couple uh, a couple of Virginia Tech writers, and everyone just said he is um, just someone who uh, was great in the community in Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, um, volunteered with his time, and he volunteered outside of stuff that was, like, team-related. So, he was putting in some volunteer hours where, you know, no one knew it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't on social media. It wasn't something that was team sanctioned. So uh, that was one thing that everyone assured me was like, hey, you know, maybe he's not super loud, doesn't use social media a lot, uh, isn't going to talk to the media a ton, but he's just going to represent Florida in a great way. And, 
just uh, make everything make everything right and just uh, just you and another thing someone else said is like hey um, a lot of coaches have to worry sometimes on the weekend or once guys go home for practice uh, if they're going to get into trouble and he's like yeah Mike White's not going to have to worry about Kerry Blackshear at all so uh, that's kind of reassuring because when you see a guy who's just so good on the court you hear about him being great off the court uh, that's really good for a program. Hey Eric uh, last question um I bet TJ a hundred dollars that UF was going to beat FSU in basketball this year. Was that a smart bet? <laughs> uh, you know what? That's going to be a tough game. I do think Florida is the more talented roster. It's just a little bit of the matchup situation with mm. uh, the fact that Florida state uh, mm. just has these big, big physical wings and Florida has a couple yeah. good wings. I uh, can't match up with them super mm. well, but um, I think mm. Florida's got the advantage at center with Andrew Nem or, or sorry, with uh, Kyrie, Kerry Blackshear. I think they've got the advantage at guard point guard uh, with Andrew Nemhart. And uh, it's just going to be uh, it's just going to be a, a bit of a battle in the uh, on the wings and uh, how those guys can kind of match up. But I mean, we just saw again Florida State has dominated the matchup the last few mm. years. Um, and uh, part of it, I mean, last year, first game of the season, Florida was the younger team, really experienced Florida State team. Uh, Florida State's a little bit younger this year. They've got a couple of JUCO transfers, which is kind of uh, a little bit different. And uh, for that reason, I mean, I, I will pick Florida to win that game. Uh, nice. but, uh, you know, it should be a tight one for sure. That's all I needed. That's all hey, I needed hey, to hear. And Miguel lose that when he up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, you can't <laughs> lose too many times to them people. You can't keep losing Florida State, bro. That's a poverty uh, basketball program yeah, over man, there, bro. On, yeah. Hey, yeah, I mean, can only be good at one sport, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, softball? No, not for me. Not for me. Yeah, yeah. They, they can take softball. They can take men's tennis. That's about all. Um, hey, Eric, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so I, I write a Gator Country. You can see all my stuff there, or you can follow me at eFaucet7. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. And uh, thanks to producer Cam. I mean, I listen to your guys' podcast, and you guys are just cycling through so many guests. I, I thought I was going to get recruited over live on this podcast. So, uh, uh, good for <laughs> so yeah, I really respect Cap for all he's doing. Thanks for having me. Hey, we appreciate you having you on, bud. Man, thanks, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for hanging out. Yep. Hey, talk in September. Yeah, we'll talk to you. That's Raul. He's smart guy. Smart guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how that team puts it together. Uh, Florida has struggled a lot, especially at the beginning of the year. So I'm hoping that they can uh, they can put it together. I think they have all the missing pe- or all the pieces that that were missing before. That if they can't put it together this year, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do because you have to think that some of those guys. I mean, Blackshear's going to be gone. Nembhard is going to probably go to the NBA, and then Scotty Lewis is probably a one and done. And then there's that other guy uh, that's coming in. That's a what a top 25 recruit that he might be a one and done too. So if it's not this year, then then I don't know, man. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough because, yeah. uh, like like we t- talked about earlier, man, we can't keep losing to Florida State. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. No, no, that can't happen, man. Um, a, lot, a lot of things can happen, but losing to Florida State regularly can't yeah. be one of them. And we we finished, you know, we finished strong. Yeah. But it's, like, like you say, Dan, how we start, man, it's, it's so crappy, man. We got we got to fix that. Yeah, we got to keep that momentum. But uh, but anyway, we can talk about basketball at the end of September. Let's get uh, let's get Barry Jackson on from the Miami Herald. He's going to talk to us a little bit about Miami football. Let's go. Let's go. Now we've got live Barry Jackson from the Miami Herald. Barry, how are you? Hi, Dan. Good to be with you. Good to have you. Thanks so much for for hopping on. Um, 
Barry, obviously you cover uh, the Miami Hurricanes. You've been really close to the program for a long time. What's kind of the feel and the vibe going around uh, Miami now? Uh, they're going to have a new head coach. They're going to have a new quarterback probably taking the helm. Uh, what's the vibe around uh, the quote-unquote new Miami? Well, considerable excitement around the program because Manny Diaz is the king of being able to win the offseason and hopefully for him being able to win the season as well. But he's smart, he's dynamic, he's been able to attract players, especially on the transfer market. Enthusiasm into the program, which was sorely lacking with Mark Richt, who obviously was a very good coach over many years, but does not have the enthusiasm that Diaz has for the job. Players have talked about uh, you know, just getting a, a breath of fresh air, someone who's going to push them more, someone who makes everything uh, a fun competition in the offseason. As an example, uh, Diaz has winners and losers for everything. If you lose uh, an offseason practice, uh, race, any sort of competition that he has regularly, you are going to be subjected to intense practices and running and other things that the winners aren't subjected to. Uh, players on the winning side during these drills get treated to lobster dinners. Losers will have to have hot dogs. So Diaz talked about making everything a competition, and I think that's resonated with players. And probably the two most important things he did from a staffing standpoint, guys, was first of all hiring David Feely as a strength and conditioning coach, some people say that the strength and conditioning program is far better than it was under Gus Felder, who was Mark Rick's guy. So that's one thing. And then the second thing that I think has made a huge difference so far, and we'll know more this season, is the hiring of Dan Enos as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, which is just as important as the fact he's going to call plays. Mm-hmm. And as Enos has made quarterback everywhere he's gone, as you guys saw, the Alabama mm-hmm quarterbacks, their completion percentage, both Hertz and Tua increased dramatically last season. And Danny, this is one year at Alabama. He had six quarterbacks, Central Michigan and Arkansas, their completion percentages all got a hold of them. So I expect that to continue uh, with Miami. And in fact, we've already seen considerable improvement from the Kosi Perry during Danny, Enos's first few months working with him. Now, now Barry, you were, we were just talking about quarterbacks, and that leads me into my, my next question. Who is the anticipated starter uh, for Miami, would you say, right now going into week one? Or I guess week zero. I would say too close to call. Emerging from spring, I would say Nikosi Perry was one. Tate Martell was 1A. Jaron mm-hmm. Williams was close behind both of them. Manny Diaz told us a couple of weeks ago that everyone will essentially start even when practices begin in late July. So I would make Perry a very slight front runner, but I think if it's close, yeah. uh, I would favor Martell for two reasons. One, obviously, he's got the highest ceiling, if you believe high school pedigree mm-hmm. and rankings. And the other big factor is he's the most mobile of the three. And this is a very inexperienced offensive line that could very well be their Achilles heel. So you want a guy who's going to be able to escape pressure and Martell is best equipped to do that. Now, Perry is mobile, but Martell is really mobile. So I think that could be a factor. And also, Danny Nussa says has said, guys, he wants a quarterback who has the mind of a coach. And I think that works uh, to Martell's advantage just because I think uh, in terms of studying film, uh, from what I've heard, some of the feedback I've gotten from Tom Lemming and others, Danny Nussa has made the point that Martell – 
really impressed Ohio State people just in terms of how studious he was. And that's one thing Kosey Perry has to prove because last year he didn't study enough. And it was so bad that Mark Richt had to have his center call plays and he had to dumb down the offense for Perry. Not because Perry isn't intelligent, mm. but because Perry didn't study enough. So mm. that has to change. I think he's gotten that message from Dan Enos. Do you think uh, that... What do you do? You believe that Tate Martell was ever promised the job, or do you think he was just promised open competition? No, I don't think he was okay. promised. Manny Diaz has said we're not going to promise anybody anything okay. here. So I think he was told you're going to have a real chance, and he does have a real chance. He was erratic yeah. early in spring practice, guys. He improved as spring practice went on. So I think it's a real competition with him and Perry, and I wouldn't rule out Jaron Williams who uh, you know, came in as a well-regarded prospect a year ago. I do think that if Jaron Williams doesn't win the job, there's certainly a chance that he could transfer. And the same with Nikosi Perry. Now, with, with that being said, do you foresee potentially a situation where Miami might play two quarterbacks, or are they all pretty similar in terms of skill set that they'll probably just ride with one? I could see that if Martell is the backup, because then you could see Miami conceivably have a package similar to the one that Urban Meyer and Ryan Day had for Martell last year where he came in in goal line spots. So I could see it in that scenario. If Martell is the starter, I would be surprised if you see Perry or Williams getting regular playing time if the game's not lopsided. Hey, Barry, how you doing, man? It's still. Hi, sir. Quick question. Uh, they're facing Florida that week zero game. How far in the camp do you think they're going to take this competition? Uh, as far as which uh, which a- aspect, I missed what position you said. Quarterback competition. It's a three-man oh, race. Uh, I think, yeah. yeah, I think the goal from what Dan Hinas told us is to cut it from three to two fairly early in camp and then make a decision two or three weeks into camp. So I think they'll judge it off practice in the first two scrimmages. My hunch tells me that Perry has the best chance, but I'm not going to rule out Martell just because of the kind of prospect he is, the kind of ceiling he has. And the fact that he's reasonable. Uh, but he's been promised nothing at all. I have no question about that. And I think it was disappointing to people early in spring drills when Martell really with, uh, with throws, especially the sideline. He's been okay, uh, you know, as far as throws down the middle of the field. Uh, but to the sideline, his ball tended to sail. Now, he was much better in the spring game. That was his best moment. Uh, of spring, uh, but there's still a question about whether he's accurate enough. And how do you feel about them matching up, coming right out the gates, no warm-up game with a uh, and Manny Diaz first tenure, first game, well, versus Florida? How do you think they match up? I tell you, the one thing that would concern me, guys, is Miami's offensive line. They have really only one established quality ACC starter that they know is a quality ACC starter, and that's Navon Donaldson who's playing tackle guard here, likely is going to settle in at guard. He can also play some center. And they have quality prospects. I mean, a lot of four-star guys who were brought in uh, who are going to fill other spots on their offensive line who simply are unproven. So that is a huge question. And we know that, you know, facing a defensive front like UF, a high-quality defensive line, that's going to be test. I'm less concerned about UN's defensive line against the Gators than I am their offensive line because at defensive line, they still have a potential 
first or second round NFL draft pick in John Garvin at defensive end. They landed Trayvon Hill, who was a terrific defensive end for Virginia Tech. He's a grad transfer. Uh, they have Gregory Rousseau, who's a, a freak of nature, a six-seven with great pass rush, pass rush moves at defensive end. And at defensive tackle, even though they lost uh, one of the nation's leaders in tackles for loss, Gerald Willis, they've collected a group of players who I think at least are going to be decent with Pat Bethel, who's a senior, John Ford, uh, who has, from what NFL uh, people have told UM people, they think he's got NFL ability if he can put it all together. And they added a UCLA defensive tackle as a grad transfer named Naruka. They also have Nesta Silvera. You guys are familiar with that name because he considered the Gators last year coming out of high school locally, mm -hmm. eventually committed to UM. So their collection of ends and tackles, I think, are going to be pretty good to match up against the Gators offensive line. I'd be concerned, though, about what kind of damage the Gators defensive line offensive line if these UM kids don't grow up in a hurry. Another another question I have, uh, there's been some smoke about uh, the transfer Bubba Bolden not getting in and, um, summer B and, and possibly missing a little bit of fall camp. What are you hearing on that end? Yeah, there's been no concern expressed by UM at this point. They've, they believe that Bolden will be here in August will be eligible. I guess we'll have to see out. And there are always questions when kids don't begin in summer session one or two. But UM is counting on it. Uh, they've got a good uh, spot at safety right now. They've got a couple of emerging young players in Amari Carter and Gervin Hall. So even if Bolden isn't ready to contribute at the start of the season, I think they're in decent shape at safety. There's a little bit of concern at corner, but only from a depth standpoint. They have only six scholarship corners. And right now, uh, they've got number one corner and Trajan Bandy uh, opposite him. They've got a kid, DJ Ivy, who looks like the likely starter. He's in competition with a name that will be familiar to both of you, uh, to all three of you guys, Al Blades Jr., you know, who is related to Brian mm -hmm. uh, and Benny Blades. And, uh, and they've got a good prospect, a four-star named Christian Williams, who's one of their big gets in this 2019 class. So they don't have huge numbers at quarterback, but they're good enough there. But the strength of this defense, again, beyond defensive end guys, is going to be linebackers because they were able to convince both of their leaders, Shaquille Quarterman and Mike Pinkney, to bypass the NFL draft, come back for their seasons. They're going to be, obviously, the pulse of this UM defense. And Zach McLeod is the third senior linebacker who's also a good player. So I think be the strength of this Miami defense again. What do you expect the offense to look like uh, coming out? You say the offensive line is not that strong. Enos is, is, is known for his power run game, two tight end sets. What do you expect the offense to look like? Yes, good point. Used a lot of two tight end sets in previous stops, including Arkansas. And I think we'll see a lot of that. And they've got two high-end tight ends with Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory, two kids who can catch the ball downfield. Both were very strong prospects coming out of high school, Mallory. Jacksonville area, Jordan from Las Vegas a year ago. So the tight ends will be featured prominently in this offense. Uh, running back, they're in good shape. They have DJ Dallas returning. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard's a five-star kid, one of only two five-stars in their program at the moment, along with Mark Pope, the receiver. Lingard's coming off major knee surgery last season, but he'll be ready for August. And Cameron Davis, a local kid, is going to be a sophomore also as well regarded. So I think they'll be fine at running back. And as for receiver guys, 
they got a huge boost when Jeff Thomas, who was ejected from the program basically Thanksgiving week by Mark Richt, decided he was going to go to Illinois, actually went up to Champaign-Urbana, and then at the last minute with Illinois right about to start classes in mid-January, he reached out to Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz met with him, and he told Jeff Thomas, we're going to bring you back. And that is huge because he injects electricity, explosiveness, excitement into this offense. He'll be their most dynamic offensive player. So at receiver, he will probably be their lead guy, along with uh, K.J. Osborne, who's a transfer from Buffalo, who's impressed everyone with his leadership, a good possession receiver. And then they've got uh, several second-year players who are poised to contribute. Brian Hightower, Dave Wiggins, Mark Pope, uh, Mike Harley, you know, has been a helpful player here. So they've got they've got solid pieces at receiver. Thomas, the best of the group, and Thomas will be motivated because he knows if he has a great year as a receiver and as a returner, as one of the fastest players in the nation, that he'll increase his chances of going by day two in the NFL draft next year. Hey, what's up, Barry? It's Ahmad. Uh, what is the strongest position group and what's the weakest you think Miami has um, going into this season? Good question, Ahmad. I would have said linebacker if there hadn't been injuries behind their starters. Uh, so at this point, I would say defensive end and receiver with linebacker and running back certainly in the mix as far as strongest. Weakest, I would say offensive line, just because we don't know what these kids can do. We know Donaldson's going to be a solid starter, uh, but there are question marks at every other position. In fact, uh, only two other starters are even known at this point with any certainty. It looks like Corey Gaynor will be their starting center. Looks like DJ Scaife will play either tackle or probably tackle, but they need to find two starters from a slew of kids uh, who have been competing. One problem is that some of the they got George Brown as a transfer from LSU last year. He struggled badly in the spring, then had an injury that sidelined him for much of the year. That was the four-star kid. Kayleon Herbert came here as a, to this point. Uh, so they made a change uh, at offensive line with their coach, and I think they feel like Butch Barry, a former Tampa Bay Bucks assistant, a familiar name to probably some of your fans in Central Florida, they feel like he's going to make a big difference, uh, and that Stacey Searles, a former offensive line, that, that's a complaint we've heard a lot. So they feel like that offensive coaching line change is going to make a It was interesting, not surprising, but notable that Manny Diaz fired every single offensive assistant Mark Richt had. And there were some guys in that group who were well-regarded, like Ron Dugans, the receivers coach, who has since gone back to Florida State. Uh, Todd Hartley, the tight ends coach, who's found work uh, quickly. In fact, all the fired offensive coaches, guys, have found jobs except for Mark Rick's son, Rick, who has opened up a quarterback uh, camp. Uh, or, you know, he's uh, he offered his services online for young quarterbacks who want to uh, improve their game by working with him. So uh, it, this wasn't a surprising move. I think, it, you know, Manny Diaz made clear in his meeting with Blake James that there needed to be major offensive changes. And the way to do that was to start from scratch with your offensive staff and let Danny Nose have a role in picking the offensive assistant. How do you think uh, Miami would do in the ACC this year? Uh, and what do you uh, predict they will stand in the ACC? schedule is not very difficult. Obviously, the first game of the year probably will be the most difficult one. 
Uh, I would say they have a decent chance to win 10 games uh, because of the schedule. Uh, Non-conference aside from Florida is not difficult with Bethune-Cookman, FIU, which as you guys know is another Mm -hmm. uh, school down here now coached by Butch Davis, uh, and a game uh, at Central Michigan. So I think with that non-conference and without Clemson on their schedule, and with Florida State, obviously, in the diminished state, they'll right, play them yeah. in Tallahassee. I That's think an they easy have win. a chance to be a 10-win team. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I, I, I don't want to uh, rule out Florida State yet, because, you know, at some mm. point, there's going to be a return, if not to greatness, then yeah. at least to decency, right? Right, I can see that. Gotta, so gotta, I, I don't want to assume that is a win just yet. Hey, Dan, you got to be weary. You remember, somebody was down 27 points against those guys. That's right? true. That's true. Hey, Barry, do you think anybody has spent money on Mark Rick Jr.'s quarterback coaching? Would I spend money on him? Do you, <laughs> you think know, anybody I, I has probably... spent money on him? Oh, it's a very good question. I yeah. like John Rick as a, as a person. I thought he was a very good guy. Yeah. And... Uh, whether he's going to have a long-term career in coaching, I guess, would remain to be seen. At this point, he did not find a job. And it's funny. I think it's a sore spot with Mark Rick because when he was asked about him uh, at an impromptu press conference at UN Spring Game to announce Mark Rick's new job at ESPN, uh, Mark said he did not want to talk about his son. So, um, and, and I can understand that. I think he was upset that his son was subjected to criticism over yeah. UM's horrible quarterback play last year. But he should know that's part of the business and it was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Hey, Barry, uh, we need to get a score prediction from you, and you're not allowed to say that you're, you're, you can't give an actual score. So uh, we need you to put a score prediction down. It seems like you're pretty confident in Miami's abilities. What is your, uh, what's your score prediction for, uh, for game zero? Got to hit it, Barry. Let's I go. Can't give you, I can't give no. you a winner because I never do that, but I will say that I expect uh, – I expect something in the 31 to 24 range. I can't tell you who's going to win because I'm not going to have any sort of conviction about that yeah. uh, at all until the game. Uh, Plus, we obviously uh, don't know Miami's starting quarterback. I do think it'll be a closer game than okay. Miami's opener against LSU last year. Yeah. Hey, Barry, is there? I've got I've got two questions for you. Is there concern about Tate Martell's ability to see over the offensive line? That's a great question. Uh, I would say to an extent, and in fact, he really struggled when he wasn't in the shotgun. So if they do play Martell, one negative is that they're probably going to have to sacrifice their under center pass. Yeah. So they're going to be able to make use of that. Uh, but there are ways around that in terms of getting him on the move, obviously mm-hmm. playing out of shotgun. But yes, that is, that is a valid concern to his size. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Barry, I've got a completely unrelated question for you. Um, I, and I'm going to ask you just because I'm asking questions and I'm a Miami Heat fan. How are the how are the Miami Heat looking? How did how uh, they fare? Obviously, they made the big trade for Jimmy Butler. They traded Hassan Whiteside. They made a couple other moves. How do we think the, uh, the Heat are going to look this season? I think this trade improves them a bit. They might go from 39 wins maybe to the mid-40s. With Butler, they at least have a player – who might not be elite, but he is an all-star caliber player, and at least it's someone who they'll be able to point to free agents in the future and say, look, I have one building block, one all-star, Jimmy Butler, do you want to join him down here? So I like the move. Uh, they did have to give up the number one pick to the Clippers to protect that the Clippers would take Mo Harkless through Portland mm-hmm. so the trade would be completed. But they were thrilled to give up Whiteside. 
Uh, this was a player that they simply did not want to continue on with. And to get his $27 million off their cap this year, yeah. I think they view it as a, as a huge victory. Yeah, I think they made some really smart uh, smart moves there at the end. Uh, well, Barry, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and online, and, uh, and we really appreciate you coming on the, tonight. Absolutely, guys. Good being with you. Thanks a lot, Barry. Thanks, Thank for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out, Barry. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. All right, you can you can find Barry on Florida Sports Buzz. Um, he's confident, guys. He's confident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt his confidence, uh, but uh, if you listen to him, you'd think that Miami is the uh, the next Alabama, and maybe in their own minds they are. You know, who knows? Hey, hey I'm, I'm just listening to him, and what I got out of that whole ordeal is yeah, it wasn't confidence. Look, it, I, the whole what I got out of that was we'll see Miami in the ACC championship. Yeah, ten wins. Yeah. Uh, that's what he. Uh, that's what he said. He said ten wins. Ten wins looks pretty good. <laughs> they don't play Clemson they, unless they. Yeah. yeah. That, hey, that that means. I mean, the, ske- the schedule looks like the every year. Yeah. Well, if they're ten, if they're ten and two, and they lose to my, they lose to Florida, which is what I think he was insinuating. That means that they go ten and one. That means they go eight and zero, oh, seven and one. Eh, I might get into the ACC. They make a win the Coast Bowl, but 824, <laughs> a disaster is going to happen. I don't care what happens after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for that and, confidence. And he, and he really scared of Florida State. You see, he, he was really bucking that question. He ain't going to talk about Florida State. It's going to be a dog fight. <laughs> you, get, you get these guys from the newspapers, awesome guys, super knowledgeable. Try to get an answer out of them, and they can't. They got they got subscriptions to sell. I get it. I get it. Man, I guess. Hey, this week we getting into some hog talk, man. A lot of offensive line. That's the position we covering. So mm-hmm. let's get my man uh, Cole Cubic going next. Let's get it on. Oh, pause. Yeah, pause. <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> Is that a pause myself? Back on the show, we got my man Cole Kublik, big offensive line talk from the SEC Network. Cole, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Uh, excited for the season, but, you know, I hear that number 61 days until kickoff, and it just feels like it's right around the corner. Uh, but we still got SEC media days and still got a month or two to get through with no football. But uh, I'm excited for it to get here and, uh, you know, looking, looking forward to the season, obviously. Yeah, man, the smell of piss game is in the air. First question I want to ask you, um, my man, John Hevesy, got a, a pretty young offensive line or inexperienced offensive line. What do you expect him to get out of that group this year? First off, I think I think Coach Hevesy does a great job. I, I was obviously, you know, watched him, talked to him, knew him, covered him when he was at Mississippi State and have obviously dealt with him uh, this past year at Florida. And he, he's going to get it right. I think Florida fans should be confident in that. But it's it's a lot of question marks. Uh, I, I like Brett Heggie a lot. I think he, he's a guy that plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. He, he's physical. He finishes. He's got a great attitude. He's got some of that nasty that you want out of an offensive lineman in the SEC. But we haven't seen a ton of him due to injuries. He's, he's a guy that's got to stay healthy. I think they have to have him consistently in that lineup, not even from a performance standpoint, because he's a kid that's got some power. When he gets latched on, he can get movement. But from an attitude perspective, you know, from a leadership perspective, setting the tone for the other guys, especially if you're going to start a couple underclassmen, they need somebody like him, I think, to sort of understand the way that things need to be handled. 
Uh, I'm a fan of Nick Buchanan. Uh, I think there are a few things that if he can iron out in his game, he could be a really good SEC center. Uh, his lower body flexibility needs to improve a little bit, gets his shoulders turned at times, doesn't stay square to the line of scrimmage. But when he does, you see a really good SEC center and a good offensive lineman. He's a guy that can get a good push. He's a guy that knows how to work double teams. So his experience in the middle of that group, I think, will give them a chance. Um, but as far as you know, the, the opposite guard situation at, at right guard and the tackle situation, I, I can't even sit here and pretend like I know a ton about it because we haven't seen them. You're watching the spring game, and what do they have? Five freshman offensive linemen on the field at the same time in the spring game. And I know it's not just going to be that way in an actual game. But I think what that does project out for you is that this could be a young group, and this is going to be a group that maybe not even from the first five perspective is concerned, but the depth is going to be very young. And that's, that's where things can get a little bit dangerous. Like I use, I use Auburn's offensive line last year as a perfect example of it's, it's not always about the guys who are on the field. And where I think Auburn ran into problems last year is they had some individuals that weren't playing the way they needed to play, but they never came off the field. They never saw the bench. And when I was playing, if you'd have had a couple subpar games and you got beat on multiple occasions and you, you, know, you were forcing or allowing tackles for loss and sacks and blowing assignments, you came out of the game. That's the way that it worked. And what it tells me when those guys don't come out of the game is that the number twos and the number threes, there's not anybody there knocking on the door who's prepared to be put into the game, that the coaching staff feels confident enough to give them the turn because the guy that they have starting is just not necessarily getting the job done. So that's where I think things could, could become a little bit dangerous. It, everybody always looks to injuries and say, well, you know, we got you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of depth and our depth is young. We get a couple of guys banged up. Yes, that's a problem and that's an issue, but you want that ongoing competition. You want guys on your second offensive line in week six and 12 and 10 and week four who are still pushing for playing time. So those starters know this isn't something that I just have locked down. I've got to go perform. And if I don't perform, the next guy behind me is going to take my spot and he's going to get reps and he's going to play. And once he goes in, if he plays well, I may never get that spot back. So for me, that's where having young depth can become even more dangerous than if you were to lose a guy or two to injury. Now, if we got Miami that, that uh, on week one, week zero, they're calling it. How do you expect Dan Money to call that game with an unexperienced offensive line, um, a young group? How you how you expect him to, to hide the deficiencies we have? Expect some max protection. Expect maybe multiple tight ends. Like you might see Pitts and Cruel in the game at the same time quite often to try and help those guys, try to widen the pocket a little bit. I think you'll see a lot of misdirection, a lot of play action. I think you'll see him move the pocket because what you're dealing with with that group that Pinkney and Shaq Quarterman coming back from Miami is a very, very aggressive defense. And I think it's a group that – they understand how to attack. They want to attack. They're a momentum group. I think Manny Diaz knows that. And I think he'll go out and he'll try to gain momentum by forcing big plays defensively and, and trying to come up with turnovers defensively. And he needs to attack to do that. So I would expect you expect Dan to show you a lot of different motion, some, some, some different formation shifts, and then a lot of play action, a lot of maybe quarterback options, with Felipe Franks, whether it's a zone read, whether it's an RPO, give him multiple options on every play of what he can do with the football or where he can be. Probably see him use his legs maybe more than we anticipate in that game with some design quarterback runs because, and I'm not saying necessarily they need that between the tackles or anything of that nature, but just utilize Miami speed against them. Get them working one way 
pull the ball out, work another way, try to get the football out quickly to avoid Jonathan Garvin and some of those guys that can allow pressure or get pressure in one-on-one situations. So I would expect extra bodies to help protect them, gap protection, slide protection, and then a lot of play action, a lot of fakes, a lot of ball fakes, and then move the pocket a little bit as well to try to get that defense moving one way and spit the ball out the opposite direction. Hey, Cole, this is Dan. Uh, I've, I've heard you mention a couple times about how much you like John Hevesy. What, what do you like about John Hevesy? And that leads me into like maybe something you can elaborate a little bit more on is what do you think makes a good offensive line coach and why has he been able to be so successful in his career? Well, first thing I like about Coach Hevesy is he has taken less talent and done more with it on multiple occasions. You saw that almost annually at Mississippi State. He wasn't just getting the five-star guy, you know, the number two tackle in America or the number six tackle in America or the number three center in America. You know, he's taking underrated guys and turning them into really good college football players. And then it's just his attitude. I mean, he, he, he's, he's a rough dude. I mean, he, he's a guy that, that expects you to play nasty, expects you to play hard, play to the whistle, finish plays, finish blocks, you know, have a little bit of extra something about you. Uh, when you get latched on to a defender, he's got some fight to him. And I think that rubs off on his players. And the other part too, is he knows the game. He's not an offensive line coach that just knows the run scheme and knows blocking technique and knows how to work footwork drills and knows how to run his guys through the shoot. And he's just yelling at his guys all the time. And he's MFing them and punching them in the stomach and telling them when he's going to run them if they don't do well. Like he understands the offensive concepts. He could, he could run the offense if he needed to. That includes routes, that includes reading coverages, that includes option plays, RPOs, that includes pass protections. Like, he could manage the entire offense, and that just makes an offensive line coach so much more valuable, in my opinion. When, when you can know your strengths and your weaknesses and go to your offensive coordinator and say, this is why we don't need to call that against this group. This is why this play is not going to work against this unit. And it might not just be because they have an elite defensive end and your left tackle struggles against pass pro, or they have a speed rusher on the outside and your tackles can't handle a speed rush, or they have a war daddy nose guard and your center's going to be manned up on him one-on-one. We can't run this protection because we don't have any help. But it goes a little bit further than that. And to me, his understanding of conceptual football is something that makes him so valuable to Dan. But his attitude and his demeanor are, are what get his guys to play the way that they do. And that's, that, those are the main things that I appreciate about John Hevesy as an offensive line coach, and really just a football coach more than anything else. Hey, Amad Black, uh, how long do you think it will take for the offensive line to get to where we want it to be uh, this season? Oh, boy. That's rough because the first, my first question to you would be, where, where do you want it to be? <laughs> because if you're talking about it being an elite group, it might not get there. But – here, here's, here's the good news. It's good news, bad news. You know, the bad news is it, it might not be a great offensive line this year. The good news is Florida's got skill all over the place. Like, there, there are not many teams in the SEC from top to bottom, tailback, wide receiver, depth at both positions, quarterback, that can give you an, the abundance of skill that Florida can. And I think that's where you see quick throws. That's where you see option plays, be it RPOs, be it quarterback read options be a quarterback's just, you know, kind of scanning and, and having options before the, before the ball is snapped of whether he's going to throw the ball or whether he's going to run a run play. You know, all, all, all the options that they're going to have because of how good they are at the skill positions. And you got guys who can take high-percentage plays, be it a handoff, be it a traditional screen, be it a quick throw, an RPO, or even just a high-percentage throw. 
a hit or come back a quick out, and they can turn those into explosive games. They can turn those into 60, 40, 80-yard plays at any moment. So I think the, the good news for the offensive line is they don't have to be, you know, uh, they don't have to be 1995 Nebraska, or they don't have to be Oklahoma last year for this offense to be good because there's enough skill to force defenses to have to respect it. As far as when you're comfortable with a group, you know, the, fir- the first thing is you got to know who the first five is, Amad. I, I got to know who my guys are. Who's going to be starting at left tackle? Right. Who's going to be starting at left guard? And then you got to get reps together. I'm, I'm, I, I needed multiple spring balls. I need multiple fall practices and then multiple games in a season to be able to finally feel comfortable with those guys. The nonverbal communications, you know, when you, when you start talking about going and playing at LSU or at South Carolina, I'm not going to be able to turn to my guard and tell him what protection we're changing to. I'm not going to be able to turn and tell him who the Mike linebacker is. He's not going to hear me in a lot of those situations. And then knowing maybe what guy comes off of a double team a little bit early, what guy maybe struggles with an inside move, you want to let your guard go help that tackle, and maybe you take a nose guard or a defensive tackle one-on-one yourself to try to get him some extra help. Those things come with time, and you only need reps to do that. So I would say a good four to five games into the season before I really began to get comfortable with things like that. Yeah, Cole, this is Dan again. That leads me to to a question that I wanted to ask a little bit earlier. Um, How important is – chemistry i mean i know that that sounds like a really kind of dumb question but but how important is getting that chemistry right and can good chemistry overcompensate for some maybe some struggles that they might have from a from a talent or skill perspective yes and here's the here are the reasons why is we, we are getting further and further away from having a high value on a mauling offensive line like Oklahoma could maul at times last year. Go back to Notre Dame with Quentin Nelson and those guys a couple of years ago. Like they could maul at times. A couple of the Wisconsin offensive lines the last few years, they could maul. Bama's had a couple that could maul. You know, that Jalen Hurts year, a lot of people thought that that was sort of just smoking mirrors with read plays, but they were a downhill run team. Like they would blow you off the football. And we're, but the amount of teams that have to have that to be successful is getting fewer and fewer. And that's because the game is spreading out. The game's going faster. And obviously we're doing more through the quarterback, whether it's different read plays or whether it's throwing the football. So I, I think communication, continuity, chemistry becomes more important because the only thing at that point that can really kill you and that can really get you hurt is just giving up big plays, missed assignments, not picking up a blitz, turning somebody loose in a one-on-one. And then that, that, that destroys plays that destroys drives that destroys game plans so i think it, it when you look at the way offensive line play is managed today not necessarily with every team and with every program mm-hmm. but across the board more times than not you at least have to be on the same page get guys covered up and give yourself a chance and then the options are what's going to mo- more times than not give you the positive plays behind that but if you're turning guys loose and you don't know who to block you can allow, like, like, you go back and watch what most teams did against Alabama last year. When you're letting Quinn and Williams get four or five tackles for loss, I mean, that's the difference in a game. Yeah. Because that's two or three first downs. That's taking you out of scoring position two or three times. Then all of a sudden you lose by 10. Well, that's, there's a difference in your ball game. So, you know, th- those, are, those are the situations where I do think continuity and chemistry become mm-hmm. a little bit more important because there, there is a, a part of football now, and trust me, it hurts me to say this. It pains me to say this, but – you can't really help it when 
you only get like, like I talked to I talked to a Division one coach before last season who told me they had five full pad practices in fall camp. Jeez. Five, five full pad <laughs> practices. Like you can't learn to be an offensive lineman doing it five times before you go play a season. Your body's not acclimated for that. Like you're not ready for that. You don't. And if you're a freshman or a sophomore that hasn't played, you don't know what the hell it's going to be like. So yeah, yeah. you're going to get beat inside, or yeah, you're going to fall on your face when you're trying to blow somebody off the ball on an inside zone play. So I think at that point in time, it, it comes down more to communication, continuity, chemistry, playing as a group uh-huh. as it does just being five super talented guys that are going to be first-round draft picks that are blowing people off the ball. Yeah, that's huge. Hey, Colt, what what have you heard uh, about Nick Savage and, and his off-season program? I mean, obviously he's the, the guy that's spending the most amount of time with these guys, the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, have you heard much about him? Obviously, you know, he's he's had a lot of fanfare for a guy that's only, gosh, what, 29, 30 years old. But but have you heard much about him this off-season? He's, he's fantastic. He's great. Um, I talked to a lot of people in Starkville that knew what he did. And I think if you're going to have a program – that in any shape, form, or fashion is relying on development of players and development of talent, you have to have a strength coach that, that, that's worth his weight in gold. And Nick Savage is that guy. And whether it was Bear Woods or whether it was Preston Smith, you know, guys who maybe had talent but were out of position, needed to grow a little bit, needed to get a little bit faster, needed to get more flexible. You know, he's kind of ahead of the curve at how – he trains individuals. And I think that's where he brings a little bit of value is he doesn't spend the majority of his time training the entire team the exact same way. He's progressive and he's a forward thinker. And a lot of strength coaches are, Um, you know, you got, you got Aaron Feld out at Oregon, who's doing things that way. Uh, You know, you got, you got uh, obviously Scott Cochran at Alabama is doing things that way. We've gotten out of, you know, specialty group and big man group. And now it's it's legitimately it's gone from position specific to individual specific, and you know, that's why these guys are making the kind of money that they are. But Nick Savage is one of those guys you talk to him, great human being, fun to be around. Yes, he can be tough. Yes, he can be demanding, but he's one of those guys that the kids love to be around, and and I think they want to please him. They want to make him happy. So when you can get guys to your facility that want to work out and want to accomplish things in the weight room or in conditioning because of your leadership. That's going to make you good at your job, and I think that's what Nick Savage is. Nice. One quick thing before – I got another question for you, but one quick thing on the offensive line thing. Um, we lost Ivy and, and, and Jawan Taylor last year. But according to 247, overall talent, we actually improved overall talent. So the talent is there. It's just like, like, like Dan was saying before, I think it's chemistry and, and just actual experience and getting those guys some, some playing time. You know what I'm saying? But – um. How you feel about Felipe Franks in, in this in, in his second year going forward? I know this is offensive line talk, but I got to get your uh, opinion on Franks in the offense. Yeah, with the with the offensive line stuff, I mean the talent. I mean, here, here's the thing with with the stars and the talent and all of that is you had a, you had a perfect correlation of that on the field. You know, sort of booking that offensive line last year. You know, everybody peed their pants about Martez Ivy coming in. I didn't hear anybody or see anybody peeing their pants about Jawan Taylor coming in. And mm-hmm. outside of his freshman year, Jawan Taylor has been the best right tackle in the SEC every snap that he's taken during his Florida career. And the only reason he wasn't his freshman year is because Jonah Williams was at, at Alabama. And then he goes to left tackle, and he was a first-round draft pick who unfortunately just got injured in Cincinnati but was one of the better offensive linemen in all college football the past few years. Jawan Taylor was 
an elite college football player. So it doesn't always equate to that. And, and obviously experience is still critical and it's still key. So we can, we can roll five stars out there all we want. But again, going back to what we talked about with the practice. Thing, Absolutely. I, I, I believe offense and defensive line are the, are the main positions on the field. Every position has to have some of it, but these two positions have to have more of it. The only way to get good at it is to do it full speed against somebody who's trying to make you look bad. And if you're not able to do that a lot, you're not going to get good. Like receivers and quarterbacks can go throw balls. Like even linebackers can kind of cover sometimes and tight ends can run routes and backs can take handoffs. Like we can't go in the backyard and just block people. It, it, I mean, it doesn't work that way. So that's why experience becomes critical. And, and I think the experience of Felipe Franks is going to show up this year. I, I think under the tutelage of Dan Mullen, he's going to calm down in his game a little bit. Now, there were a few fundamental flaws in what he did last year. Like you watch him throw deep left and, and he was just inaccurate for some reason, throwing deep left. Like that's something that Dan can pull him aside in the off season that they can study in the film room and he can go out and work himself and have an understanding of, you know, from a, from a fundamental standpoint, from a, from a mechanical standpoint, what he needs to repair and he can get better at that. And I think he will get better at that. So I expect Felipe Franks to have a good season. The offensive line is a real concern. There's no way to skate around that. But we talked about the skill positions that are going to be around him too. And I think that's going to help him a lot. And I think the thing that will help him more than anything else is his coaching. Because I think Dan Mullen is an elite quarterback coach. Definitely, I agree. So what, what, hey, predict- oh, go ahead, Dan. I was going to just call quickly. Is Do you think this is Florida's most talented team um, probably definitely on offense, but do you think this is more there's their most talented team since maybe the late you know two thousands? Oh, I mean, is there? I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about like legit dudes coming through there every year. So yeah, if we're talking if we're talking just talent, it's tough to ever you know pit one Florida team against another Florida team. I mean, even even some of the teams that didn't have great records. We're still spitting out first and second rounders offensively. I mean, I go back, like nobody talks about the 2000 team that whipped my ass two times, once in Gainesville, once in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that was Tyrannosaurus Rex and all those guys to bark oh, at oh, yeah. and throwing the ball oh, all over the place. So don't worry. They got it's, us back. It's, kinda, it's, it's tough to say, um, I would probably, uh, obviously not on the offensive line, no, but from a right. skill position perspective, I, I think the receiver core is as deep as I've seen it in a long time. And obviously you have multiple backs who I think can be really good SEC running backs at the same time. So maybe not so much at offensive line and tight end, but it, it's as deep of a receiving core. And the cool thing about the receivers is you got different kind of guys. Like you got, you got big physical targets in Trayvon Grimes. You got a Van Jefferson who can work inside, who can work outside. You got a Tyree Cleveland who can get the ball and go just about anywhere. So you you got different bodies, you got different skill sets, different types of receivers as well that can give you advantages in different ways. So it, from a skill position perspective, it's as deep as I've seen them in a while. I don't, I don't know if the top end talent, like the top one, two, or three guys, mm-hmm. is as good as Florida's had in the last five or ten years but I think the depth is where this team might be different. All right, Cole, before we get, get you off of here, man, we got Miami uh, week zero. Let me get a uh, score prediction out of you. Oh, geez, score prediction. I will go uh, I'll go 21-10 Florida. 
Okay. I ain't mad at that. Yeah, right. I ain't mad at that whatsoever. Hey, I like it. I, I like it. I like it. A little conservative, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You, you kind of you slow things down a little bit with the offensive, yeah. so you want to get used to what that's going to be like. I, I'm not real confident in how Miami's going to move the football. Like, like I, I'm not even like everybody's just sold on Tate Martell is going to be the dude and going to be the guy. Like I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure that, that Tate Martell is their starting quarterback. So there could be some question marks there. They only bring that their right guard and their right tackle. I think their right tackle's got a chance to be really good. Um, I, I, I think that Delone Scape is he's probably going to move over to left tackle this year, but played right tackle last year. Super talented, freakishly athletic for a guy his size. His feet need to get a little bit better, but. We only got two guys back, so and, and that group has underperformed the past few years. The defense could be legit. I mean, front seven is going to be good. There's no mm-hmm. way around that. So if they can just yeah. neutralize that group, and like I said earlier, I think through, I think through some of the play fakes, through play action, through some of the option plays, through RPOs, I think Dan will be able to manage that a little bit. It's an interesting matchup too with with Manny and Dan. I mean, they work together, they know each other, so the mm-hmm. chess match between those two should also be fun to watch. Hey Cole, I've got a question. Just because you work for for ESPN, what are your thoughts on the Week Zero game? Do you like that idea? Do you like that that's something that they're pushing? No, I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, you know, I, I worked uh, a Week Zero game last year down in Montgomery. They're doing like an FCS kickoff game now every year, and we we had North Carolina A and T and Jacksonville State down there last year. I think that takes two of the lower tier programs and gives them a big stage. I know Samford, uh, a team here in Birmingham, Alabama, is going to be playing in that game this year. They'll lead into the Florida-Miami game. So, listen, I, I, I think we have a little, bit of a, a little bit of a consumption problem with our college football, as in we have the ability to consume all of it, and we didn't used to have it that way. And so when you have mm-hmm. five games that people want to watch on at noon, and you have seven games on it between 6.30 and 8.30, it's difficult for people to dial in on one game and focus in on one game. So I think when you can take certain teams, certain games, certain programs, and sort of give them a stage to themselves, that's always going to bring extra value. That's like that, I mean, like that Labor Day game. That thing is that thing is exploded. The ratings have been off the charts for that thing. It's the most it's the most brilliant thing that they've done in college football. Like I, they they should be stacking that Sunday with three and four games instead of one game on Sunday night. And they should be playing two or three games on that Monday. Cause we're all sitting around mm-hmm. ready to watch them. All we're doing on Monday is sitting around waiting for that Monday night game and mm-hmm. waiting for the Sunday night game. So give us two or three and let us watch football all day. So anytime that you can sort of find an extra window to put a game out on itself by itself and let it have its own platform, I think you bring more value to the teams, the programs, the players, and really college football in and of itself. That's what's up. I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us, Cole. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys having me. Look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Better man, I can't wait. Thanks, Cole. We got some defensive care, line talk coming up. We might have to hit you back, man. Let's do it. I'm all about the deal. I mean, I, I like the O-line talk, but I can go D-line, too. I'll be ready. All right. Here for all that, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. See ya. It's good stuff, man. Always, yeah. Impressive dude, man. Really yeah. cat, man. It's so crazy how knowledgeable these guys are, man. Um, at, at the game, it's just cool to just listen and just sit back and just hear how they how they speak about the game, how they respect the game. Yeah, he live that shit. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they, they work their craft, man. That's, that's that's what they that's what they get paid for. He's got good energy. I, I like I like what he was saying about about Florida having to to make 
those changes in offensive line is going to be 100% about coverage. And then I think for the first three, four, five games until they get that chemistry piece under wrap is they're going to really have to focus on, on those quick, uh, you know, those, those quick outs or those, those quick protection schemes that they can, uh, you know, not rely so much, especially against Miami, because I, I know we give Miami uh, a lot of crap, but that, that, front seven that they have on the uh, the defensive backfield um, is strong, and that is going to be a, uh, a point of threat for for that offensive line. So when he was talking about some of the uh, the scheme changes that they could do, you know, it, it's good stuff. You know, it's just a matter of uh, putting it uh, putting it all together on that week zero game. Yeah, Dan going to work the numbers, man. Like, re- regardless of, of, of how it shakes out, the offense is predicated on – it was in the box outside the box, you know what I'm saying? Just the where we where we match up number wise, Dan go, he's not gonna force anything, bro. So regardless of how the offensive line look, he's gonna find a way to run the ball or pass the ball. Whatever we gotta do to win the game. If they load the box, then he's gonna hit the perimeter, man. Try to hit some some long handoffs and bubble screens, but I just I expect them to work the numbers regardless. Yeah, right. and, and they've got good uh running back blocking experience as well so they've got good tight end blocking i think it should be fine um they should have decent enough offensive line blocking just because i know that there's a lot of new starters but a lot of those guys stone forsyth heggy delance a lot of those guys are going to play that have been in the program for a while now so like i know that they lack game experience but i don't think they necessarily lack experience to be able to at least misdirect the uh, defensive tackles, defensive linemen, uh, and linebackers. And then, obviously, if they make it back or, or to Felipe Franks, you know, A, he's a threat running, and B, I think LaMichael Pirine uh, or Pierce or whoever should be able to pick up at least one of those guys. Yeah, man, these, these guys blocking on the front, man. They, they, I mean, they're talented guys, and I, I put all the trust in, in Coach Hebersey and, and Coach Munn to get these guys all squared away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. I, I, never, I mean, obviously, we never played O-line before, but, you know, me – um, you know, speaking as a football player, uh, the quicker they get in the in the playbook, the quicker they, they get a feel for what's going on in the game speed. I think the better that that'll be for the Gators. I, th- I think I think they'll come along. Uh, it's no doubt in my mind that they, they will be all right where we need to be by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, last year didn't start off smooth either, but I mean, by by midseason, those guys starting to gel a little bit. And we was able to do more things in the playbook. But speaking of the 824 Miami game, man, uh, the tailgate, victory roll up tailgate, sold out within like three, four hours, man. So now I just pretty much show up and party, bro. Uh, we got a waiting list that's going to be available soon. Uh, TJ will be able to let you know when you guys can possibly get some more tickets. But for right now, it's sold out. But y'all pull up, man. Walk by. We'll keep count. As people leave the tailgate, we'll, we'll take some money at the gate. If you want to come in, but right now it's sold out. Y'all boys pulling up? Dan, you pulling up? No, I'll be out of town, man. Um, I got a wedding to be at, and my buddy playing the wedding, not thinking that Florida would play that weekend, but I got to go all the way up to New York for a wedding, so I won't be there. Uh, so I told TJ to give my ticket to somebody that's deserving, but I think he sold them all. Greedy, greedy, greedy cat. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm- I'm gonna pull up, man. I gotta be there. You know I'm gonna be pull there. Pull up, pull up, black. Hey, hey. Always gonna be in the. You know I'm gonna be in the area. I can't wait. Hey, man, we hanging out the whole weekend, man. We're oh, trying to get. TJ's currently working on trying to get a rooftop party and whatnot that Ooh. Friday night. So we get a rooftop bar to ourselves that Friday night. Throw a little something, hang out. That should be even more dope. But pull up, man. We hanging out the whole weekend, bro. That's gonna be a hell of a weekend, boys. I'm jealous. I can't wait for the hangout. Can you imagine? Here I am for two years. 
pumped and excited about going to this game. <laughs> game gets announced. I'm like, I'm there. I hate Miami. Obviously, living in Tampa, the game's an hour away. Uh, finally, a fir- good first game. Uh, we played Michigan two years ago. I went all the way out to Dallas. We got our ass beat. I'm excited. And then, like, they had the audacity to just move the game up, just all willy nilly, all willy nilly. Yeah, right? uh, play on people's money, bro. Completely throw off my uh, throw yeah, off my entire schedule. So I don't know what that malarkey is, you know. Oh man, <laughs> all, all the plans Oh shit. So shout out to that man. But let's uh get, let's get back to some old line talk. Let's get one of our very own on man. See what Shannon Stanley up to. And for the first time on Stadium Miguel, a regular friend of the show on the Big Three Roll Up, but this is the first time here, the originator of the relationship ribs, my mm-hmm. man. My dog won't let me borrow his smoker. Shannon Snell, what's going on, baby? What's up, fellas? How y'all doing? What's up, man? What's going on? What's going on? You damn, you, you damn right. I'm not letting you borrow the smoker. <laughs> you you know messing, you know all your other shit up. You ain't messing live. <laughs> hey, man, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take nice care of that thing. Man. I just want to smoke some ribs and bring it back, bro. No, you gonna bring it back? It's gonna be broken. I'm gonna have to fix it. Before we get into some barbecue talk, man, let's talk a little bit about that offensive line, man. How, how confident mm-hmm. how you feel about these guys? I don't know, man. It's uh, it's kind of a it's it, they're gonna depend. It's gonna depend on them if they if they they go a long way or not. I mean, you replace you got to replace four guys uh, off the offensive line, man. That's not a tough. That's not a that's not an easy job to do. Uh, you know, you got some guys that have been like Brett Heggie, who I'm I'm kind of excited about. Before he had that ACL thing, man, he was I thought he was gonna be a uh, just as good as the Pouncey's were. I mean, he's got a, he's got a chance because he's pretty pretty nasty dude. He's athletic, um, but once again, once you get hurt and trying to come back from that, man, that's that, that's a that's a bitch. That's something that you got to deal with. Um, so if he can get back to full strength, I think he'll be a nice leader. Him and Nick Buchanan. That's that. Those are the two guys that obviously seen a little bit of playing time. And then you got all the other younger guys around him that that have been there for a little bit, but they haven't really gotten that playing time in the SEC and haven't gotten to see things against these. So. Depending on how they adapt to it. Now, I'm going to say Hevesy's one of the best coaches in the country as far as development goes. Um, so if anybody can do it, he can do it. Um, if these guys can keep Felipe dry, open up some lanes, man, it's, it's going to be they're going to give some people some problems. Who who do you see like as far as the? Let me rephrase that. How do you see the the tackle positions playing out? Oh, you know, you got you got your boy Delance from that came from Texas. I mean, I think he, he's an athletic dude. You know, he's got to replace Jawan Taylor, which is not a – I mean, Jawan was a big old road grader, man. You can't – that's not going to be easy to do, but he's got a, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a smart kid, and, and he's athletic, which is good, which you, which you need to be at a right tackle. And then uh, Stone, Big Stone, man, he's a humongous human being. He's, he's going to be a good player. Now, it just really depends on how he develops this year. Um, you really don't know, but he's got to be the guy. And he's really got – when I say he's got to be the guy, he, it's going to really kind of revolve around him because – you know, as you saw with Martez Ivy early in the year last year, one of the reasons Florida struggled was that he was still trying to adjust that position. I mean, Florida, Florida would move him all around and move him to guard, move him to tackle. But once he got settled at that left tackle spot, uh, you, you saw things starting to move really well. Well, Stone's got to kind of do the same thing, but he's got to do it quicker because Florida's kind of – they got playmakers all over the damn field. They got – you know, their receiving corp is probably the best I've seen since, you know, the days of, you know, black when you were playing. 
So, you know, they get, if, if they can get that guy on the same page and he keep, keep Felipe dry, uh, it's got, Felipe's going to do some pretty good stuff. And just, I mean, the offensive line's got to block, though. Who would you say would be the biggest surprise on the offensive line? Like somebody that we haven't talked about that, that should, you know, show us uh, good things this season. I, I don't think anybody's talked about the Lance, and I also think everybody's forgotten about Hagee. I just, I really think that's the, those are the two guys that really, um, because I, I think Heggy had the, the opportunity before he got hurt, he was going to be an all-SEC guard. That's just what it was. I mean, I watched him play a lot. I watched him, and he was a nasty dude. He was pancake dude. He just had a nasty mentality. And, you know, like I said, that ACL really, really set him back, as it does any player. I mean, coming back from that is not going to be an easy task. And then DeLance has – I think he has a little bit something to prove, just because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people on him that he left a, a program like Texas – then you come to the SEC where clearly the competition, I think, is better. And you have defensive ends that are um, – they're, they're, you have a lot of first-round talents out there that he will probably face. So, I mean, he's got to get his act together. I mean, this is not Texas football. If he, if, if the old saying is if, you, if you're not going to be able to cut it at Texas, then, you know, are you going to be able to cut it at, cut it at Florida? Because Florida's better competition. Um, but from everything what I've seen so far, I mean, he's an athletic guy and he's just – He's got to live up to that billing, uh, what he was when he came out of high school. Hey, Shannon, this is Dan. How do you think that Florida, obviously with four new offensive linemen starters on their uh, on their roster this year, how do you think that in the first couple of games they're going to be able to build chemistry and kind of compensate for the fact that they're lacking that in-game experience? Um, you know, well, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, they, I mean, regardless of what anybody says, Miami has a tough defense. So they're going to be tested out the gate. Um, and that's going to, I think that's going to be good for them because it's really going to prepare them for SEC when they get into the rigors of SEC football. I mean, every week, uh, Black, as you know, you got to bring your lunch. I mean, there ain't no real, ain't no real teams that you, you, you can kind of lay down on or try to watch around or try to, try to figure them out. I mean, you got, you, you, coming out the gate, you got to beat Miami because the, the obvious uh, – the goal this season is to, is to probably try to get into the college football playoffs. And losing to Miami or putting off a really bad showing, it's also a confidence builder because if you can run against a team like Miami or, or throw the ball around on them, I mean, you pretty much can do anything. I mean, Miami's defense is going to be tough because they return a lot of uh, a lot of starters. They got that kid Quarterman, a linebacker who should he's probably going to be a first round talent if he does well. So um, more than anything, I think this is going to be a really good challenge for them. And coming out the gate, and you know, if they can survive this, I think these guys are going. to – I mean, I, I think like I said, Tennessee's Got his got his work cut out for him, but I think if anybody can coach these guys up to do well, it's going to be him. What talk to us a little bit about how a, a group of offensive linemen that have only really practiced together and, and really in favorable conditions, obviously in a practice setting, how do they get used to playing uh, in a stadium where it might be a little louder than they're used to when they've not really been able to build, you know, on the field chemistry. I don't think it's too – I think a lot of people put a lot of uh, – you know, unless you're playing at the opposing team's uh, stadium, it's not – I don't think it's as bad as everybody says it is. You know, you got okay. some places that it's really tough to – you got some places that's really tough to play, like playing in Death Valley. That's really tough because, I mean, they're loud there. Playing in, you know, uh, at Auburn Stadium, it's really tough there because they're loud. But when you're at a neutral site, um, and especially in Orlando, Orlando's pretty much Gator-friendly. This is that in yeah. Miami Stadium. Miami – Right. They travel. They travel like a bunch. They travel like a bunch of bitches anyway. So yeah. you know the, yeah, the funny thing like is nine Miami fans. We yeah, they're, and, um, you're giving them a little credit. It might be one <laughs> there, but you know the funny thing is, is that um, the funny thing is is that uh, Orlando is very Gator friendly, and I think it's still a home 
Um, it's still a home um, game for the Gators. So I don't think the, the noise is going to really affect them. And, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, these guys, they've, they've been in the system for a while. So I don't think there's too much of a learning curve that they have to go through. I mean, obviously the in-game experience is they're going to have to play catch up with that. But a lot of these guys been in the program for a bit. So it's not like they're, you know, true freshmen trying to come out there and trying to learn the plays and trying to learn the speed. I think they'll be fine. I think, I think they, might, they might surprise a lot of people. They got a great coach. They got a, they got a lot of things behind them. And, you know, these guys are really this, – this is the time that they bond and that they, that they click. And just noticing being around them – as some of these camps that I've seen, I mean, they get along really well. So I don't, I don't see any downfalls in this, in this whole makeup what they have going on. Hey, we got, we done. Let's get into some barbecue talk, dog. Hey, the tailgate sold out, baby. I heard, man. How did y'all sell that tailgate out so fast, man? That's a, that's hey, incredible. Man. What you, what you mean? How we sold it out so fast? Hey, li- listen, 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 listen. I thought it was gonna be like, like, like twenty people there, twenty people that we talked to on Twitter the whole time. No, they gonna man. be there, but you, bro, you, you sold the. Whole, I mean, I don't see that kind of stuff. I've been a bunch of tail. I've done a lot of tailgates in my, in my time with 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 Sonny's and on, on my own and. Bro, for somebody to sell it out within four hours, man, that's that's just like WrestleMania. We could have double sized the we could have doubled up on the lot size and all, man. But we're gonna do some other stuff, man. Um we got more tailgates. I'm gonna play something with Amadi and, and um Dan for probably the Florida Georgia game or something like that. But we're gonna keep this thing going, dog. Yeah, I'm gonna be at Florida Georgia. Yeah, man, that's a, that's that is a good idea, man. I, like I said, it's I've never I've never seen nothing like this, man. It's 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 good when you bring a fan base or like a state like this together, man, and we just chill, eat some barbecue. We gonna we yeah. gonna beat we gonna bite, beat Miami, so I ain't worried about that. But you know, tell people where they gonna be. What you, what you cooking up? What you got on the grill that day? Man, I don't know if I want to reveal it, but I think I told somebody. So I'm gonna tell you. So I'm gonna do them. Uh, I'm gonna do them uh, competition ribs. Some ribs that I do on the competition trail. Whenever y'all see me, I'm like I'm snapping photos and I'm out there doing that. I'm gonna do those. I gotta bring the jalapeno sausage. Um, I gotta bring. I've got some. Home, I got some homemade mac and cheese coming. Mm. That and some uh, homemade potato salad, and um, I'm gonna do some peach cobbler too. Man, hey, look, you got you got you got to surprise the folk, man. You got to come up with a with a different kind of dessert. That shit got to call it like like the Smash Miami dessert or some shit. <laughs> Smash Miami dessert. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little more creative than that. <laughs> Shit like that. It's all bad shit, though. It gotta be like some, some good shit. Like you can't even tell us. Like, I mean, obviously, it gotta be some good shit. Like, but Bud would be the worst person to ever name shit at a restaurant. He'd be like, this is a hamburger, and it's his hamburger. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> Bro, imagine a little Miami's kid trying to order that off the menu. Imagine a little kid trying to order that off the menu. Mommy, let me get some smash Miami shit. <laughs> I, look, I want the kids meal and a smash Miami shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it, dog. Appreciate hey, you for coming Shannon. on and hanging out with us, bro. You got something else, Dan? Yeah, man. Yeah, I got something else. Hey, Shannon, I got a I got a big green egg a couple months ago. I'm having some issues. Um, <laughs> can you give me some some tips on on cooking with with hickory or cooking with wood compared to charcoal and gas, like I'm used to? Well, you okay? So you need to use charcoal. Charcoal is going to be your main source of uh, of fuel of of lighting stuff on fire. You can't just use wood. Right, I mean, right, you right, could right, just right, use right. wood. You could use wood, but it's going to require. So using a green egg, you're going to need to use charcoal, right? Right. So I'm guessing a lot of a lot of times people, uh, you're probably burning stuff on your green egg. Am I correct? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> so agree, agree. When you're cooking on a green egg, especially if you're like cooking ribs or if you're cooking whatever you're gonna be cooking, now, a lot of it, a lot of times it's thin meat or something like that. You wanna, it's you wanna use. Um, so obviously you wanna put your coals. Don't put your coals completely in the middle of your green egg. Okay. All right, because you got. I mean, the heat is supposed to circulate. A lot of times, what you have to do is offset your coals and then put the meat on the other side because you want to indirect. Uh, you want to indirect heat when you're cooking, mm-hmm. and, and, and especially if you're because if you're going to put it right over the coals and you're going to char it. Yeah. You know, you won't you won't get the opportunity to cook your meat. You'll actually char the outside of it before it has a chance to cook the inside of it. Mm-hmm. So you want to do a little bit more indirect. Indirect means cooking on the opposite side and letting the. I mean, that's what the green egg is supposed to do as a you know, as a ceramic, as a ceramic smoker, you want it to kind of, kind of circulate. So yeah. you don't want it. So whatever, you, whatever you're doing, do the coals on one side, you can actually put the wood on top of the coals and just let the, let the coals do the cooking, but not, not directly. The only thing that you want to do as a direct cook on a, on a green egg is like hamburgers, or if you're going to sear a brisket right. or something like that, you put that directly over the coals. Otherwise put it on the opposite side and just let it, uh, and let it uh, cook that way. Dude, I came from a, I came from gas and then charcoal, like from back in the day, and, and this shit's awesome. But it's it's a challenge. I mean, it's it's a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Or maybe I'm just yeah, dumb. You I got yeah, a man grill. You got an adult grill now, bro. That's good shit. Yeah, 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 man, yeah like, like, like it's, it's not like using electric. Electric is for bitches. You know, I, yeah, when oh, I, when yeah, I that's like started, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, you don't use electric. I mean, the coal is going. It's going to challenge you a little bit more just because it's going to be. Uh, I mean, not every piece of meat is going to be the same, as you know, but yeah. in the same breath as that. That's what she um, said. If you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, how, much, how, much, how much meat has she had if she told you that? For sale. I don't know. I just got to get challenged. Listen, no, I ain't going to be I ain't gonna be with them unclean women. You can have that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so just make sure you keep man, cook bro. it indirectly. Cook it, up, <laughs> cook it on the opposite side so you can. So you can kind of, yeah, it, you're supposed to do a little bit lower, slower. And let, like I said, unless you're cooking burgers or something that you need done pretty quick. But anytime you're going to do like a pork or if you're going to do ribs or if you're going to do chicken or, or something like that, it's not supposed to be cooked really, really fast. So just cook it indirectly. You'll be better. Yeah, I just got to I just gotta get used to the time. That's all. I appreciate that. I'll let you know how it goes when I, yeah. uh, when I burn I, my I, ribs next time. I feel, I feel so educated on the grill now. I feel like I could just go out there and just, just whip up some shit right now on the grill. Um, Ahmad has a George Foreman. He's, he's Man, like, the secret. The secret is getting snail smoker. You gotta get the smoker, bro. Listen, That's what I'm working on now. Listen, listen. You are not getting that smoker. All right, that smoker is not coming to you. You might as well take your mind off of it. You've been, right talking, about, about, you, you, you been talking about that smoker before you even got on here. Listen, listen. You. you, you you can stand next to me on the smoker just to make sure I make sure you don't burn my shit now. But you can stand next to me. We can do it together. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate you for coming on, hanging out with us, Shannon. Yeah, man. Yeah, y'all keep doing your thing, man. I'm a I'm a big time listen, man. Y'all are. I'm really impressed, man, what y'all doing with the stadium and Gale and Big Three roll up. And I saw y'all got another one with the ACC and TJ's gonna be hosting. Yeah, him and Landry, man, should be dope. Man, big man, that's, I mean, yeah, man, man, y'all are doing your thing, man. I'm really, really, really impressed, man. We try to do something special with all this stuff, man. I just come hang out. Yeah. They, they carry me, man. I just come hang out. That's all. <laughs> hey, somebody got carried all Americans. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, I just get carried. <laughs> all I do is hang out. <laughs> all right, dog. Holla at me. All right, fellas. I appreciate y'all having me on, man. 
Hey, we so, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You don't realize how hard it is to cook on like a smoker or like a big green egg until you do it. And like, it's not, it's not that hard. Uh, like all things considered, but it's just so different than like gas or just a normal charcoal grill. It's cooking with, you know, cooking with gasoline, basically. It's crazy. Man, I don't know nothing about that. Like you said, man, I got to join. Hey, I, I, I live that grill life, though. You got to live that grill life, black. I, man, I, I just go to the barbecues, man. Yeah, no, you got you got to you got to roll your sleeve and get your hands dirty a little bit, bro. You got to do that, and then you just got to have time. That's the thing about barbecue is you can't just think about it. And be like, all right, I'm good. I need it. I need to eat in 20 minutes. Nope. Yeah, no, you got to plan nope. that shit out. Absolutely. Nope. You got to you got to think about it at like five in the morning. And be like, all right, what am I having for dinner on Thursday? So just don't live my life like that all the time. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, I'm not, not there yet, Dan. So I, I maybe that's it. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm there. You're not washed up yet. You're not washed up. I got a crock pot, bro. I'm I'm I'm, I'm living this life. <laughs> I, I, I know a little bit about the crock pot. Uh, you almost there then. <laughs> well, my other half, my other half know about the crock pot. I should say. That's right. Uh, I, don't really, I don't really know too much about it. <laughs> hey guys, I saw uh, the uh, updated college football lines just came out. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, nine to four uh, odds right now, and then Florida is at forty to one right there with Oregon. Uh, so Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, Texas, Auburn, and Nebraska are ahead of them. What do you guys think of that? You think that's about right, or Nebraska's ahead of who? Yeah, Nebraska's at thirty to one. I don't get that either, man. I don't oh, get Nebraska. I don't get Auburn. I don't know. Texas seems yeah. a little high. LSU seems really high. I think it's because they always think that LSU is going to figure out how to do something on offense, and they never do. Other than that, you know, I'm kind of surprised at some of these. FSU is 100 to one. I think huh? that's way too high for them. That's that's definitely too high. Uh, I don't even know if they'll be able to field a team through 12 games. Uh, Miami's ever, at 100 to one. I don't know if they can afford it. Do y'all ever think like the people <laughs> who pick this shit? Do they like? Blind pick this shit. Did they close their eyes and like just finger point like this shit? I have no idea. I, mean, I don't. I mean, I mean, I mean, Vegas. Yeah, there's got to be some agri- some 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 type of number to some formula to it because yeah. Vegas they're not in this shit to lose money, so they got something figured out. They they figured out some shit. By the way, speaking of what you just said, so do you see how poor FSU was in those two articles that came out today? It's like Man. it's real life poverty. I know we talk about their recruiting class and their football team is poverty, but like Woo. no, it's like real life poverty. Like they're not sure they can make it through next year budget wise. Yeah, it's the projects. It, it really is trailer Hassey right now, bro. Oh man, these people. <laughs> it's rough out there, bro. They can't. Basically, the article was saying, um, what's his name, Matt? Uh, Matt Baker. Matt Baker, Tampa Bay Times, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he pretty much wrote an article uh, saying that they can't fire Willie because they don't have the money to. So his job's pretty much safe. Hey, bro, like, how, like, what you think he lay down at night and think about? Like, ah, these fuckers can't fire me even if they wanted to. Man, hey, what is this? That's a great feeling, bro. Like, they, bro, they, they can bitch about all these two stars I'm bringing in, but at the end of the day, my job is safe, baby. Like, that's crazy that they don't have enough money to fire him. Like yeah, they don't they don't even have enough money to consider firing him. Like they can't even do like a GoFundMe or anything. Like they can't even get that far. They, oh my they, god, they, it's not even on the table. You think that you think the fans can start a GoFundMe account and raise money to to fire 
Willie, bro. Fans can't even help the athletic department stay afloat, let alone fire Willie Tiger. Bro, they're going to plant a dead body in Willie Trunk, bro. They'll get him up out of here some type of way. And they still won't be able to fire him. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. It is legitimate poverty in Tallahassee. TJ yeah. did a nice write-up on him, man. Y'all go check out TJ write-up on the whole uh, FSU shenanigans and, and their poverty on BigThreeRollo.com. Yeah, and, and big shout-out to, uh, to TJ. He sent uh, he sent us all our shirts and our merchandise this week, but uh, if you want to check it out, it's on uh, BigThreeRollo.com, and you click on uh, Stadium and Gale, and you can buy Y'all some got merch. shirts? Yeah, we got shirts. We got uh, got no hoodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I have my Y'all got money. Mm-hmm. How you get shit, uh, Dan? Mm-hmm. It's racist, huh. bro. It's racist. got it too. So, oh, hey, that, you take that up with TJ. <laughs> take that up with TJ. If, if the two white guys got it, hey, that's that's TJ. <laughs> Crazy. We got to figure this out. All right, before we get out of here, let's do a quick recruiting update. They're about the youngins. The young We got a big commitment out of uh, four-star defensive end out of Portsmouth, Virginia, and Warren Powell. Originally, he's supposed to be deciding on July 4th. I'm not sure what sped up the decision, but we got him to pop a couple days ago. Um, that's it since then. We covered we yeah. the last time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we covered all the commits last time, and now we're in a dead period. Uh, the opening's going on right now, so they had the Elite 11 go on. I guess the Elite 11 is still going on. Um, I saw Anthony Richardson won the long ball competition. I think he threw the ball 68 yards, uh, which was awesome. He looked really good running the 40. Uh, And then all of the guys started to roll in, I think, on Saturday uh, for the actual opening for, like, the wide receivers and linebackers and running backs and everything else. And uh, there was some uh, some talk and some crystal balls that were rolling in uh, for for some of the prospects that were out there. You had the – Cornerback from from Texas um, that was being talked a, a lot about, uh, Jahari, Jahari Rogers. Rogers. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I watched his film, I like him a lot. Always like a guy from Texas. And then I just looked over uh, right before we started, and I saw that uh, a couple of the guys from FSU just crystal balled uh, Richard Leonard, the offensive guard, uh, to Florida as well just now. So, uh, Florida looks to. Uh, to potentially pick up a couple guys, I, you know, I'm not sure about Richard Leonard here in the next couple of weeks, but uh, it looks up to uh, to get a couple of these guys uh, in the fold here pretty quick during this dead period. Yeah, Richard Leonard decides uh, July 5th, July 4th, right? Okay. Yeah. So Thursday, yeah. Yeah, he decides on 4th of July. He got a whole plan thing with his family, so uh, we're expecting to land him. And I think to hire Rogers, from what I was told behind the scenes, they're expecting him to pop either before or at. Friday night light, so uh, this should that should be wrapped up too before the fall kicks off. So that's two, two really good ones, man. That boy's gonna pull up the Friday night lights. I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm Dude, I can be there. I can be there. Yeah, pull up. I'm, I'm bringing the fam. Like I'm bringing my son. It's the first day of uh, fall camp too, man. So I want to hang out. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, maybe we can do a quick uh, do a meet and greet or do a quick hangout before you got uh, you got spring practice. You got the start of a fall practice and, and Friday night lights on the same night. It should be uh, should be live in Gainesville. Yeah, let's do that. Let's all link up. Let's do that for sure. I love yeah. it. I love it. I'm gonna stay with the mod. Come on. <laughs> you got to sleep in a in a Barbie room though. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, he's sleeping one now. <laughs> You're asking a lot of awkward questions, Ahmad. I don't know. 
<laughs> hey, before we roll out, boys, uh, I want to tell everybody there's a uh, an article about uh, about near on ball. Uh, that I put on my uh, my timeline the other day that I want everybody to uh, to read. Uh, it's a really good read. Um, for those of you guys that don't remember, Neron Ball played linebacker for the Gators uh, in the late 2000s, or, you know, the early, you know, teens of the 2000s. Ahmad, did you and him play together? Yeah, we played together. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I'm trying to think of what years. Yeah. yeah. 2010, he, right? He went – yeah, I think so. I think he was there 10 to – 13 or, or somewhere around there. Anyway, he, he ended up making it to the NFL uh, for a few years, and then um, he dealt with uh, some uh, some health issues, and he's actually been uh, in a coma since, I believe, uh, since September. Um, anyway, uh, Trenton Brown, uh, who played uh, for the Gators, obviously just uh, signed the largest contract in, in offensive lineman history. Uh, he signed with the Raiders, and he talked about – uh, how important Neron Ball was to him. It's his best friend, uh, and you know about how playing for the Raiders now uh, means so much to him. So uh, I encourage everybody to read. It's a really good uh, read on him, um, and just uh, you know keep Neron Ball in your thoughts and prayers. Is you know he's he's still in a medically induced coma from uh, from September. So uh, it's a tough story, but it's a, it's a good one to read. So definitely encourage everybody to do that. Hey, hey, Black! Give us, give us a little, a little memories. Anything you can say good about uh, Neron Ball, man? Um, life's fragile, bro. We gotta count our blessings every day. We, we uh, healthy on this earth. I just remember, you know, he always, he always smiling. He's always upbeat, type of guy. Uh, great, great, great athlete. <clears throat> he was one of the, one of the, the, the best athletes I had. I think we had in that class. This guy uh, come off the ball so fast. It, uh, from the linebacker, from the defensive end. Um, pump block wherever we needed him. He was he was that guy to make the play. Um, I, I can't think of too many times that you know he he was he was not doing what he was supposed to. Um, you know, on and off the field. So you know, prayers up to Neron, man. I, I you know, I, I I can't imagine what his family's going through right now. Prayers up, man. Hey, Ken. Hey, you got some advice? Anybody got some advice? Give the people some advice, man. Some wisdom. Oh. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I don't know, Dan. What you got for us? Just dress to impress. That's all. It's going to be the same <laughs> advice always, you know? Just dress to impress. You never know who you're going to meet, you know? Other than that. All right. So should, what about our phones? Like, you know, should, I mean, what's the, what, what service should we try to avoid? Boost mobile, cricket? Yeah. All of them, except for Isaac. Yeah, whatever, whatever Barry had. Yeah, whatever Barry had. Avoid <laughs> that shit, all right? <laughs> if you have whatever phone service Barry had, change it now. Right now. And don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> hey, who's got the song this week? I got the song. Cam, take us out of here with some thug passion. Inspired by my man Dan Thompson. All right, new drink. One part Alize, one part Cristal. Thugs passion, baby. Y'all know what time it is. This drink is guaranteed to get the pussy wet and the dick hard. Now, if you're with me, pour a glass of drink with a nigga, you know what I mean? I ain't trying to turn y'all niggas into alcohols, alcoholics. <laughs> I'm just trying to turn you into motherfucking thugs. So come get some of this thug passion, baby. <laughs> I could 
Brooklyn like they think would be good till it's relevant. But I'm a straight soldier that I roll up a nigga like a savage. They tripping over dead presidents. They got these derelicts. I thought was down with us busy. Trying to climb to get us in. It's so evident. Staying forever been thinking. Drinking over a felony. Hellin' me and how it would be in hell and shit. People telling me to cool out. But they ain't feeling me. A motherfucking fool bout my fucking cheddar cheese and a please. Passion to mind. Fucking hugging plenty of G's and laughing. I passed two times and all these bastards that be watching. Just keep it playing and I'ma keep it the same partner. Just take it a simple game. I can plinkle with rain twinkling. Diamonds and things go plinkling. Enough to hold me till I'm old and wrinkling. These adversaries, they gon' have to be working. Cause I'ma be ill and fulfilling my passion till I'm burying my thug passion. The bomb, and you got it going on. Give me some of Switch how it's supposed to be a dirty money Get me evil cause it's filling up my tummy Born in opposition Tough collision was futuristic Twisted riches But it's only one way to make more So I'm standing on the corner Trying to hustle in the snow And my bigger bro Couldn't know But if I fall for Blasting the plan Hating one and more With a thumb passion Pushing down mashing Controlled by the stuff's passion I like the mother buses Pistol blasting I'm asking what happened To them niggas who kept the real Like they claim to That's what money and bang do See that ain't true Trapping this road, my poor soul has been consolidated With all this bullshit that I done tolerated How I made it can be easily stated It's like my heart has been yeah. great with the passion to be the fucking greatest Load up and pay shit Make this to some high dollar gangster shit Jack and stack till we got enough bank to split Creep with me through that immortal flow The right. passion got you trembling like death on the road yeah. Make it move so I can throw your mind in curve While I'll be blowing up the scene like my nigga Mr. Herb Take a talk as your heart goes full of rest I got the bomb Making money, observing you motherfuckers Cause some of you bitches funny Say you want it, but you bullshitting Look in them lips, you got me about to act the fool quick Sipping on some Alizé and Cristal Meanwhile, buy me a drink and get the winking at me She smiles, a nigga's full of passion Satisfaction is everlasting Now there's a feel what I'm asking While I'm rubbing on that ass, why you laughing? See, I'm digging as if I'm curious Full-blown and furious, baby, get a grip When I be doing this It's so physical, my attraction Driven by alcohol, beware of my reaction Baby, I'm on the ball Dubbed out on death row You better recognize a picture what I said so Now you can feel it, it's a potion for my niggas In motion forever blast The bitches ain't ready for this dumb passion I heard it's the bomb And you got it going on Give me some of your
you got it going on. Give me some of your 